Hello and welcome to Second Coming Scriptures, a podcast from First Word Ministries. I want to begin this series by going to Genesis 3 and verse 15. We're talking about scriptures in both Old and New Testaments, which have direct or indirect references to the second coming of Christ. Genesis 3.15 is perhaps the earliest. It's in the context of the fall of man, and it goes like this. And I will put enmity. Now, the the uh, Hebrew word here, uh, it's, um, it's a word that is a strong word, and it means hostility, even hatred. It means hatred. As a matter of fact, there's one place in the King James Version that it's translated hatred. So the Lord speaking to the serpent, and I will put hostility, hatred, enmity between you and the woman. So there will be hatred, hostility, between the serpent and the woman from this point forward. And Yahweh continues here in the scripture, between your seed and her seed. Now, both of those words come from the same uh, root in the Hebrew, zera. It means um, a sowing a seed, it is the, the act of sowing a seed. It also references what results from that, which is the offspring. In the context where it's written here, it is speaking of the human family, the human race. And so it means the descendants, the offspring of the woman. It's an interesting passage because, frankly, The woman doesn't carry the seed for the human race. It is the man who carries the seed. But here, there is a veiled reference to the importance of the woman in the story of salvation, redemption, and, of course, the story of the Christ. The woman will have offspring, but she doesn't provide the seed. How can this be? Well, most thoughtful Bible scholars believe that it's a reference, it's a very early reference to the virgin birth of Christ, uh, that uh, the woman will be divinely visited in a special way. And although a virgin woman, uh, at some point in time in the future from this text, although a virgin yet she will still conceive, somehow bearing within herself seed that will give give birth to the Christ. Now, here, uh, between your seed and her seed, so this would mean that the serpent will have offspring. Now, how can this be? Well, it's going to be the difference between the elect and the reprobate, the saved and the unsaved. So this depicts a battle throughout time until finally God 
calls into consummation everything and finally puts a close to the first heaven and the first earth, destroys it and brings forth the second heaven, uh, the new heaven and the new earth. So here is an, an enmity, a war, hostility, hatred that will go on between the elect and the reprobate throughout all of time in the history of mankind. This is the this is the declaration of God. It will go all the way until the end of time as we know it. Enmity between your seed and her seed. Now, the the thought of her seed narrows to a pronoun in the Hebrew and the word is who it's a he in the English it's he he shall uh, bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so this he now the seed of woman a virgin born person will be the great supreme savior who comes into time, and according to the Bible here, he shall bruise your head. Now, let's think about that word, to bruise. It comes from the Hebrew root shuf. It's an interesting word. It means to overwhelm. Um, It means to uh, completely overwhelm, uh, to bruise. The bruise is a rather... uh, a rather soft way of of translating the word, to bruise, to break, to cover, to overwhelm. Now, this virgin-born Savior will bruise, overwhelm the head of the serpent. That means that he will strike a debilitating blow. But in the process... You, that is the serpent, shall bruise his heel. Um, the the hinder part of the foot. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a very very clear Hebrew word here in the text. And the picture is that this great Savior will identify the the one who is the enemy of humankind, and he being the only one who is suitable and qualified and strong enough uh, to perform this action, will raise his foot and stomp down on the head of the serpent. Now, of course, this will cause, this will cause debilitating harm to the serpent. It will make him useless. It will stop what he's doing. In the process the heel of the Savior is bruised as well. And, of course, that's a reference to the cross. Now, setting this verse 15, chapter 3 of Genesis aside, let's step back and look at it. I want to especially concentrate on uh, shall bruise. It, in the, it's, call in the, it's a call imperfect in the uh, Hebrew. Now, the call is the basic verbal stem, which indicates the active voice. 
generally speaking. In the imperfect as it is here, it is used to express an incomplete action. So this is something that at the point of time when declared in Genesis 3 had not happened. But you have to believe that those who are of the elect in the Old Testament time would would begin to focus their attention on the promises of God that specifically related to this virgin-born Savior whose great strength would come down crashing on the head of the serpent. In the process, he would be bruised, but the serpent would be destroyed. Okay. Christ on the cross, of course, gave himself for his own, for his church. That's what Ephesians says. Christ died for his own. Now, in that death, he found great victory, although it, although it was painful. It was horrible, the death of the cross and the suffering of Christ. And this was like the bruising of his heel because this action was necessary in order for the Savior to come heavily down upon the head of the serpent. So crashing down on the head of the serpent to stop and utterly destroy his work, finally, it would cost Christ something, obviously. So he gave his life. But of course, he rose again. Now, in that resurrection, he goes up into heaven, and we're taught in the Bible in the New Testament that he serves there as our as our great high priest, and he intercedes for us. He's keeping us saved while he's in heaven. But then he's coming again to utterly and absolutely put an end to the work of Satan. Now, now Satan still has access. The old serpent, he still has access, and he's still to the to the to the mind of God in the sense that he still accuses us. He's the accuser. And we have a great lawyer, a great intercessor, and that is the Christ, of course, our Savior, Jesus, who intercedes for us and pleads our cause, has covered us with his righteousness. Therefore, according to Romans chapter 8, no charge can ever be brought against us, those of us who are in Christ. And yet still the world struggles with sin, and still there is enmity. There is hostility between those who are saved and those who are not saved, between those who are the elect of God and seek to do the work of God and those who are the reprobate who are fallen in darkness and they are dead in trespass and sin and without knowing it, they are enslaved to sin and uh, the father of lies, of course, who is that old serpent, the dragon, Satan himself. This goes on until finally, finally, that crashing of the head proves effective when Christ comes again, when he comes again in glory and in power, and we are taught that at the end of the thousand years, the old dragon, the serpent, is taken and cast into the lake of fire. So this is the first scripture that we'll look at in this series that has to do with the second coming of Christ, 
with the absolute debilitating blow of the heel of the Christ upon the head of the serpent to finally destroy his awful work and influence. Thank you for being with us during this podcast. I hope you'll stay with us. We have a long way to go looking at all of the scriptures that directly or indirectly deal with the second coming of Christ. God bless you, and thank you for listening.